as we prepare to hear what God's Word has to teach us, let us pray the prayer for illumination. God of call, God of transformation, God of the Lenten journey, help us to discern your still, small voice. Open us to change and growth. And we may walk in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture lesson comes from the book of Luke, Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, which can be found in your pew Bibles or up on the screens. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not push the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It is so good to see everybody out there too. I'll wait for you. Henry's not coming? Okay. How are you, Holly? Good? I do. Okay, so if you had just listened to Matt read the scripture, he was reading from the book of Luke. And it was the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan to get him to do things that he wanted. And this way, he thought Jesus would worship him and not God. But you know what? And you said this to me one other time. You said, why do you always use the same story, like about joy and in Advent? You said to me, you, you've told that story before. Well, I have this little devotional that I use over and over again because in here, it's saying that we need to know the scripture. And what does the word scripture mean? That's all the books in the Bible, the stories that the men wrote down in the Bible. Hmm? God told the men the words to write down. That's how they knew that. Well, I don't know. Back then, I don't think they, they allowed women to do that. 
but nowadays you could do that. So anyway, we're supposed to know the stories in the Bible. That's why I remember stories that you have in Sunday school now. Because I heard them, you said, oh, I heard that story last year. I hear those stories and I'm like, I heard that when I was a kid. But it's in my mind, so I remember it and I can use that story, okay? You've heard that three times? I've heard it probably dozens, okay? Because I'm a lot older than you. So anyway, in my, in my book, we, so what I was saying was Matt read it from Luke, the book of Luke. But in my devotional, those same stories are in Matthew chapter four. So my book has here, and I have it with my bookmark. So we're gonna hear them again, Colin because the more you hear it, the more you remember it. And the more you remember it, it makes you a stronger Christian and you can fight against Satan. Okay, so listen to the stories. Here's the verse from Matthew 4, verse three and four. The tempter came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, People don't live only on bread. They also live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the devotional talks about this. When Jesus first started his ministry, he was tested by the devil. It happened in the wilderness. The first thing the devil did was taunt or tease Jesus to make stones out of bread. Of course, Jesus as God could do that. But his father in heaven wanted something else that he not eat for those 40 days. He was trying to teach him lessons. So it would have been wrong to make bread out of stones. How did Jesus stop the devil in his tracks? How did he say, no, I'm not gonna do that? He quoted scripture. He quoted the stories, okay? So he used a verse that applied to that situation and. Taunting, teasing, yeah. Oh, okay. So these are the two necessary things. Listen to the two things that will defeat Satan. Know the scriptures. Know the Bible stories. Make sure you can remember them and obey those stories. And if you do that, you can defeat Satan. Now here's another one. I have two more. You gotta listen. The devil took Jesus to the holy city. He had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. It's written, the Lord will command his angels to take care of you. They will lift you up by their hands. When Satan first tempted Jesus, he made a suggestion, ah, turn the stones into bread. But this second time he actually quoted scripture himself. So Satan knew scripture too but not all of it, just part of it to fit in his plan. How did Jesus reply? He said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. Sometimes Satan will use scripture Bible verses against us. He tells us to speak truth. 
So we let it out with both barrels. He tells us to lie. Then we lie, and he comes and said, you sin. Now God is against you. Satan will do anything to stop us. But knowing the Bible and the Bible stories well and obeying them, as Jesus did, stops the devil in his tracks. Last one. Finally, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. If you bow down and worship me, he said, I will give you all of this. What if someone said to you, ask anything, anything you want, and I'll give it to you. But in return, you have to do this for me. And maybe it's not something good. Satan does that to us all the time. Just tell this little lie and everything will be fine. Or you could cry and your mommy won't make you do your, you know, clean your room or something like that. Just listen to what Samantha says to Vern. He's your friend, sure, but this'll be more interesting. Oh, the devil has a million stories to tell you to get you to do bad things. How did Jesus handle all this tempting? He said, get away from me, Satan. It's written, worship the Lord your God. He is the only one you should serve. Jesus quoted scripture again, Bible stories, and obeyed. Looks like knowing scripture and obeying is a pretty important thing to keep Satan away from you, don't you think? Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us another chance to come to your house to worship you and praise you. Help us to listen to when the Bible is read so that we can put those words into our memory and our heart so that when Satan bothers us, we can put him down by telling stories of how much you love us and how much you will protect us. Help us to always remember the things we learn here to make us stronger Christians. Be with us now and help us to go out this week and fight against evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Nancy. So why do we keep hearing the same stories over and over and over again? Well, if you've been to the movies recently, I know some of you have, I know some of you haven't seen a movie in ages, perhaps. Hollywood keeps making the same movie over and over and over again. Or they make sequels or prequels, right? Stuff that comes after or stuff that comes before. Now, for sequels and prequels, they are made in such a way that if you've never ever seen another installment of the story, you can at least kind of get a sense of what's going on. But if you've seen the original, or you know what's happened before, then it brings new meaning and new insight into what you are seeing on the screen before you. And in so many ways, the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness is a sequel to a story 
that the original readers of this text would have known very well. It's a sequel to the story of the Israelites being freed from their slavery in Egypt. The number 40 is used there as well. When Moses is led by God to lead the people out of their slavery in Egypt, it is said that they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, long enough for a whole generation of people that were disobedient to die away so that their children are able to enter the promised land. But when we say they wandered in the wilderness, that's not quite right. You know, it's not as if they were just kind of walking around aimlessly and they didn't know where they were going. They are led by God through the wilderness. God leads Moses to lead them over these 40 years. Their time in the wilderness is a time of testing. And in our Sunday school class this morning, I got to sit in on the uh, adult class, we talked about whether or not God tests us. Does God intend for the things that happen in our lives to be tests? Well, let's look at the Old Testament stories from the book of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Is God actively testing the people in their wandering? Well, if he is, then the people fail miserably. They complain. They are faithless. They entice Aaron, who is Moses' brother and kind of second in command, to make for them an idol that they can worship while Moses is up on the mountain for how many days getting the law? Forty. Hmm. They think Moses is gone. They don't think he's coming back. And so they entice Aaron to make for them an idol that they can worship in place of God. It causes Moses to come flying down the mountain and break the commandments, the stone tablets that God has written on with God's own finger. The people, they complain that they're going to starve out in the wilderness. Why did Moses bring them out into the desert, out of Egypt? At least in Egypt, they had food. They had water. But here in the wilderness, they're just going to die. Why did Moses do this to them? Why would God do this to them? So why are they brought to the point of hunger? Why do they thirst? Well, for Israel... Their hunger brings on a miracle from heaven. They wake up in the morning and there is this stuff that has accumulated on the ground like dew. And they gather it together and they, they bake it and it tastes sweet like honey. And they say, what is this stuff? Which we know is manna. Manna is Hebrew for what is it? the manna, the bread from heaven. Moses strikes a rock with his staff and water comes 
flowing out of it. In the midst of their testing, when the people have lost their faith, is the very time when God shows up. The wilderness is an opportunity for God to teach a group of slaves how to be a people, how to be a nation that is ruled over by God and that trusts in God. Have we ever encountered wilderness? I know in Sunday school this morning, the question was asked, has anyone ever gotten lost in the wilderness? I didn't raise my hand because as an Eagle Scout, I'm not supposed to get lost in the wilderness. But I can tell you when I was in high school, our youth group went to Rocky Mountain High, a youth group gathering of high schoolers from all around the Midwest who went to Estes Park, Colorado, YMCA of the Rockies. And they have these outdoor adventure excursions that you can sign up to go on. And we did. We signed up to go mountain climbing. Not like, you know, picks and chisels and all of this, but more a, a storied hike up this mountain where, you know, about 14,000 feet probably. So you can see a fair amount of things. And so I was with a group of people and we're headed up the mountain. And of course, the longer you walk, the more people kind of get stretched out. And there were a group of five or six of us and we came to a point in the trail where there's a fork and there's no sign that says this way to the mountain peak. And so we decided, well, when you come to a fork in the road, you take it. And so we chose one and we went. And after a couple of hours, when the trail started to go down instead of up, we realized that we could possibly <laughs> be lost on this trail. And there was a beautiful, you know, gorgeous lake with nice, clear and clean water. And we encountered other hikers along the way, but we had no idea where we were. It could have been really bad, you know, but as things go, this worked out. We eventually met up with another trail and found our way back to the bus and heard the stories from the people who actually had gotten to the mountain peak and, oh, what a beautiful, glorious worship experience that was. And like, well, I'm sure it was, but we just wandered around all day long. Sometimes, we get lost in our wilderness experiences. And, and sometimes the wilderness is a choice that we make, and sometimes it's something that's forced on us. Oftentimes I think of periods of transition as wilderness. And sometimes those transitions are something we choose, taking a new job, making a move to a new place, getting married, having kids. Those can be transitional times of the wilderness. And there are times when those transitions are not something that we choose. When our spouse leaves us, when we are terminated from our job, when a loved one dies, when our health is taken from us. 
Sometimes the wilderness is something we choose, and sometimes it's something that is forced on us. But for the Israelites, the wilderness, the transition, is a necessary place for God to test them and then instruct them when they fail the test. But here in Luke's gospel, Jesus is put to the test. But for Jesus as well, this is not a time of, well, Jesus got up one day and decided to go for a walk and got lost in the wilderness. No, Luke tells us that when Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and the Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove and a voice says, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased, then that same spirit that Jesus is full of takes Jesus out into the wilderness. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and there he fasts for 40 days. And when he is hungry, and when he is vulnerable, the tempter comes along to put Jesus to the test. And to help all of us, I think, learn about who Jesus is and what kind of power he will yield. When Jesus is hungry and vulnerable, the tempter comes to him and says, since you're the son of God, you could transform these stones into bread and you could eat and you wouldn't have to be hungry anymore. This great power that you have as the Son of God could be used to satisfy your own desires. This is a kind of power that would not have been uncommon in the Roman Empire. Who is it who uses their power to satisfy their own desires? Caesar, right? You can picture, you know, imagine the laurel wreath around the head lounging back, you know, with scantily clad women feeding them grapes, satisfying any carnal desire that they have. That's the power that Caesar yields. So is that the kind of power that the Son of God will have? The temptation is for Jesus to use his power on himself. But Jesus, in resisting the temptation, saying, quoting scripture to the tempter, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from the mouth of God. Being human is not just about having our fill, but it's about relying on God for the things that we need. In the second test, Jesus is whisked up to a high place, perhaps the mountain that eluded my friends and I at Rocky Mountain High. 
says, look out over all of this land. It's all mine, tempter says, and I could give it to you. The only thing you have to do is worship me. And all of this could be yours. Just do what I want. Just do what I ask of you. The temptation here is for Jesus as the Son of God to use the power that he has to rule over everything in a political way or in a power-yielding way, to compromise his relationship with God for the kind of earthly power that sometimes humans desire, the grasping for more. So a good question is, is the tempter right? Have all of these things been given to him? Is it really his? Is the world really the devil's playground? Does it really belong to Satan? Well, when war rages across Europe and people go hungry and people are displaced from their homes by the thousands, you kind of look at the world and you say, gee, it certainly does look like someone other than God is in charge of this place. But Jesus rejects the temptation to seize political power and authority over the lands and instead says to the tempter, Scripture says, worship God and serve only God. So the tempter, thwarted in try one and try two, whisks Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Now remember, Jesus lives in Nazareth, which is kind of the backwoods. His ministry is going to be around the Sea of Galilee, which is fairly far removed from the political power that is in Jerusalem. But here at the start of his ministry, he is whisked right to the place that is most important for all of Judaism, the temple, the place of God's presence in the city that David built, in the city that represents all of the aspirations of freedom for all of the people of Israel. And says to Jesus, quoting Psalm 91. You know Psalm 91. He will raise you up on eagle's wings that you, you know, you know the song? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, Jesus, the scripture says that you can do this. temptation is for Jesus to prove right then and there 
by jumping off of the temple top and having the angels come down and rescue him before he dies. That he is someone special. Jesus answers. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satisfying his own carnal desires, satisfying his own political aspirations, satisfying his own desire for fame and glory in the place of power. These are the three temptations that Jesus undergoes. And in each in, the, in rejecting each one of them, Jesus shows us the kind of power that God actually wields and shows us as the people of God the folly of trying to make the church some powerful thing in our world. Right? We live in a time where the church is less and less influential all the time. We also live in a time, I think, where those who want to influence the world will use Scripture the way that Satan used it, quoting it for their own powerful situations and reading into the text ways that could lead us to places of power and authority in our society. But Jesus patterns for us as the people of God the posture that we have towards power as the people of God in these wilderness wanderings of ours. At every turn, Jesus rejects the power in favor of reliance on God. Jesus rejects the satisfaction of his own longings for reliance on God. Whenever we as the people of God are tempted towards expediency to take matters into our own hands, reminded of Jesus' time in the wilderness. So after Jesus has thwarted Satan three times, Satan leaves him until a more opportune time presents itself. The tester will return. And when we get a little bit later on in Lent, we'll talk about that temptation. For Jesus being put up on a high place in Jerusalem is not the last time that that kind of temptation will present itself. So we come back to the question, does God put us to the test? Are the things in our life that place us in the wilderness, tests of God? Does God intentionally do bad things to us to put us to the test? 
to somehow keep us on the edge of the blade that if we fall off to one side or the other, we failed and are you know, damned for all eternity. I don't think so. I think that the testing that we undergo is more like the testing of the Israelites than it is the testing of Jesus, actually. It's more about learning lessons. It's not that God intends harm to come to us. But when bad things do happen, it's an opportunity for learning. And sometimes we don't learn things from the bad things that happen. And sometimes it takes a really long time for us to realize we've learned something. After the last two years of isolation from COVID, I'm not ready to say I've learned anything from that experience. It just stunk. But maybe, just maybe, God will reveal some grander plan, will look back on that time and say, huh, God was present in that all along and taught me the important lessons I needed to learn about how to live. People of Israel that wandered for 40 years, I'm pretty sure they're still looking back at that time. And we are still looking back at that time to ask the question, what do we learn from all of that anyway? My prayer for us in this Lenten season is that we will take seriously the opportunity to take a step back from the immediacy of everything, to look for ways that God is at work in our midst, to reflect back on our past, to ask the question, how has God been present with us throughout? So that we might come to the present and say, how will God lead us through this time? in the wilderness, this time of transition. And my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we will sense God's presence and walk by faith. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for, thank you for the story of Jesus and, and his testing points to important things about our lives and the way we live them and points us toward important ways that you show up in the midst of all of that. Lord, in our wilderness, we pray that you would show up in powerful ways that we might see clearly what you are doing and who you are calling us to be in the midst of all of this. Well, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to stand, would you stand with me now as we affirm our faith with question and answer number one of the Heidelberg Catechism. People of God, what do we believe? My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way 
that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready to now on to live for him. Amen. Our next